What were you looking to add to the band? I mean, you wanted someone... I wanted to be able to do what the Springfield used to do. I didn't want to be a folk group. I wanted to be play rock and roll as well. He settled on his former Buffalo Springfield bandmate, Neil Young. You were not in favor originally. I wasn't in favor of it at all. Because I said, why, why should we invite you into this band? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, have you ever heard me and Stephen play guitar together? I went, yeah, I have. He was in the band from that moment on. Your second gig? Woodstock. <laughs> Our second gig was Woodstock. <laughs> I am yours, you are mine, you are what you are. Look out, the lever! Get away from that lever! You'll blow us all to atoms! Welcome, everyone. This is That Record Got Me High. I'm your host, Rob Elba. It is great, as always, to have you all with me. Uh, this is a lovely... You know, I usually... I, I record in the evenings mostly, but I'm, I'm open, you know, if a guest, if it's easier in the afternoon or whatever. So this is 10 a.m. now. So the only, the only difference is I'm, I guess I'm more awake and I'm, and I'm not drinking because I'm not an alcoholic and I don't drink at 10 a.m. Uh, I'm assuming my guest is not drinking either, but I don't know. I don't know how her life is lately, so you never know. But... Uh, <laughs> I know she's a very busy woman. She had a meeting right before this, right? And, uh, and I did. And yeah, it's, probably, my, it's my working day. I'm playing hooky for and, you. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and you probably have a meeting scheduled like right after as well, right? I do. <laughs> I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get this show on the road. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest, Kristen McLean. Welcome to the show, Kristen. Thanks. Great to be here. Now, Kristen, I just got, I got your intro. I, I'm really I curious to, your, to see what you're about to say about me. So. I went to your, well, well, I just went to, to your website. Apparently you have like a, you know, whatever, a, a, a website for you. And it, and this, uh, the first thing it's just, uh, so I just wrote what it said. It says executive di uh, director of business development at the NPD group, a global Correct. research and data company where she sits within the books entertainment practice. So is that fair? That's fair. That is fair. <laughs> but yeah. There's so much more to Kristen. Well, I was going to say I'm not. I'm not here because of my professional role, though, right? I mean, no, no, you're not. Yeah. Obviously, you're here because. Uh, but this is interesting. You're here because you're a lover of music, and you're and you've managed to like surround your life with musicians and music, right? <laughs> so yes, I support. I support a healthy cast of characters when it comes to uh, right. To music, so this so, is what yes. I wanted to get. Now uh, we've never discussed this, but you're not a musician at all, right? That's not true, actually. I grew up playing music. Uh, I oh, played for 12 years flute, and I played another 10 years Irish penny whistle. Really? And, uh, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, yeah. I studied at Hart School of Music and in, in University of Hartford for a while um, in music. But uh, no, I mean, it was all just prep to be married to a musician. That's pretty well, that's much what it was, I think. <laughs> all right. So that was a question, because your dad obviously is a musician and an artist, Yep. musician and you married as we said spoiler alert you married a musician our good friend russell mofsky uh, has been yep. a guest on the show and he will be a guest again uh gold dust lounge
And um, so, do you think, do you think I was going to ask you? Do you think it's an accident that you ended up with a musician, or is this your your lot in life? Because your son obviously is a musician as yeah. well. I mean, yeah. a, a, like big time mm-hmm. serious musician. So you're just like surrounded. You're you're surrounded with musicians. I am. Yeah. So I feel like I'm swimming in it all the time. In fact, I'm sitting in a room right now that's uh, has at least five instruments out. Right. So. Oh yeah. Your house um, is just like music. Yeah. Music, it's full music. of, full of it. I, you know, I, 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 I'm halfway joking, but not really. I think that, you know, I did grow up with a lot of music. Um, my dad, I have a recording of my dad at age 11. He's now 80, 88 age 11 on the radio in St. Petersburg, Florida, playing the Young American Hour on the Hawaiian guitar. Like oh, it's, nice. this goes all the way back um, in like multi-generations in my family. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, playing, learning to play an instrument, learning to read music and just growing up with all of that music around, bluegrass especially and, and Hawaiian guitar. Yeah, it just made me very open to, to having having making a life with a musician and and with an artist and and so yeah it's great because i have the ear for it and i can support them but i don't there's no pressure on me to play no. and there's no pressure on it's all you know it's well, all all right here's enjoyment. the question i want to ask you because no like i didn't realize i maybe i knew this before i don't know i hear a lot of things and then uh, my wife says i I never like I'm told things and I don't listen to them. So that's mm. that, that could be true. But do you like would you do you consider so you played music for years and you went but do you would you consider yeah. yourself a musician or is it just something you did? I mean especially cuz your your dad was a musician and you played but you know. Well, yeah, that's really interesting. I think that you know, I also this is another musical influence. I grew up singing a lot as a kid. Oh, okay. I was did choral music also all the way from early elementary through high school. And I do, and I do actually miss that. And occasionally when I get a chance to sit down and sing with friends or sing at family events, I enjoy that. So I think I consider myself, I think I do, I do have enough of a background in it and enough of appreciation for it that I would still probably consider myself a musician. Like I could sing if I wanted to, I could play again if I wanted to, but, uh, but, but also, like I said, I mean, there's just, we're, we're, I'm just constantly surrounded by music all the time. And so it, that's one of the benefits of, of, uh, being married to a you know, professional musician is, is that I get to enjoy it without a lot of the heavy lifting. And, and, you know, frankly, my job is to do other stuff in the family so that the music can get played too. Right. right. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I guess, yeah. I guess it's a matter of degrees because sometimes I wonder, I mean, I play music, but I don't know. Sometimes compared to a lot of my musician friends, I almost don't consider myself a musician because they're compelled to play. And I don't feel compelled to play. I mean, honestly, I haven't touched my guitar in a year, like over a year. And Mm, I'm just not, I mean, I do this, the podcast, the music podcast. So that's, I guess, how I get my, my outlet in music. But I don't know. I think compared to them, I think, am I really a musician or just someone that plays music? And is that different than someone that sort of steeps their life in music and they're compelled to like make music, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. I've definitely, that that is definitely not what I am. Um, right. But but Russell is. He, yeah, music is like, a, is a second, <laughs> it's like a, a second language for right. him. I mean, it, exactly. like he, he expresses himself through music. So... Um, it, it, it's, it's almost effortless. So yeah, I think I, I appreciate that, 
that point of view. Yeah. Um, well, here's because here's the the question I had that I was talking to a friend, to a, a good friend of mine who is a musician, and he was a guest on the show once. But he, I said, oh, do you want to come on again? He goes, nah, I don't really. He goes, I don't think musicians, I don't think are the best people to talk about records. <laughs> he goes, I think people, the best guests you have aren't really musicians because he said he feels like musicians are like too close to everything and they like see behind the curtain. So they can't really talk yeah. about, you know, how much they love and the love of music because they're like too busy, like analyzing what's going on and everything. And and I was wondering if there is some something to that, you know? Well, I, I do think there's truth to the idea that there's no better way to kill a passion than to actually try to make a living at it. Right. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. So that that, you know, I, I my undergraduate degree was in theater design and I, I can't go to a show without taking apart the design of what's going on. That's just oh, the na- okay. nature of it. So right. I'm, I'm sure that that's true for musicians also. But, you know, I don't know. Music is universal. Right. Everybody's got something. It would be very sad if, you know, if a musician still can connect to the things that they love about music. That's true. Well, maybe so uh, connect is one thing, but to actually uh, talk about it in, in uh, you know, and sort of get into what it is that they love about it, that that yeah. may be the hard thing. You know, that may be because, like you said, they may just be analyzing things too close, whereas someone would just sort of big picture it. All right. But all this is around the thought that you brought a record to talk. So what is the record that you brought that we're going to talk about? So I want to talk about Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, Deja Vu which was a super important, you know, we talked about the fact that that I grew up in the house of a musician and, and there was a lot of music around. And that album in particular came out at a time, uh, it came out in 1970. And my earliest memory of it is 71, uh, when my parents who still live in, in the house that they built in 1971 were raising the, uh, the beams of the house and that album was on a turntable on the ha- the floor of the half-built house. And I oh, have a really wow. strong memory of that. And that album, you know, over the years has had the ability to really take me back to that time period. Um, so, and, and no matter how many times I've listened to it, I still find it really interesting and beautiful to listen to. So, yeah, so that's oh, my okay. album. Yeah, because what I could say to people now is even if you look at this, if you look at if you don't know anything about it, you still know this record. You know this record and you've heard songs from it because you have. Because me, my first thought is, oh, I don't think I really know that. But then I'm listening to it. It's like, oh, yeah, I knew like half the songs on here. I, I knew and I've heard. Um, and it's a hippie record in a way, obviously, because... <laughs> Well, it's, I would say it embodies that whole period of time. I yeah, mean, you'd, yeah. it, you'd be hard pressed to find another album that is, I mean, that is as intertwined with that period of the late 60s and early 70s as this album, partly because the musicians that came together to form that group were so embedded in, you know, in those other groups like Buffalo Springfield. And then also they were at Woodstock. The first time these four guys played together as a group was at Woodstock. Right. Find the cost of freedom buried in the ground. Mother Earth will swallow you. Lay your body down. Joni Mitchell watched them on TV and wrote a song about that, which made this album awesome. When we get to that song, we'll definitely talk about it because there's a lot to unpack there, right? Yeah, it's, there's so, it's, and then, and then as a child of the, you know, late, you're born in the late 60s, really formative years in the early 70s. It just, it was such a different time for music, right? Like, you know, it was the radio and it was vinyl and this was one of those albums that everybody was listening to in that summer, so. Right. 
And and one other thing before we get into it that I was thinking and just in uh, doing some research on it, reading is that you have to realize that when you look at these guys now, you know you look at them like Neil Young's like he's getting in fights with Spotify and David Crosby's getting in arguments with people on Twitter and they're just these old you know hippie dudes. But back then, these guys were like it. These guys were like legit heavy hitter rock stars. And I mean, absolutely, yeah, some of the biggest, right? Some of the biggest, right? Yeah, the groups they were coming out of were the biggest groups of of the of the era, right? So this album was a super anticipated. This was their uh, second Crosby, Stills and Nash, but their first one with Neil Young as as the quartet, right? Mm -hmm. And Yeah. um, yeah, this was super. I mean, just, uh, you know, it had a whole bunch of hits uh, off it and it was all over the place. And yeah, this was something that was a big deal at the time. And then obviously you listen to it and it's not just the fact that they were big. It is. They were great. They're like each one is like just an amazing singer, amazing artists, you know, amazing players, songwriters. And the fact that these uh, guys were able to get together and record together is kind of amazing because you think about the egos like now, like doing something like that now, it's like really hard because people, and even then I'm sure it was because I guess there was some, uh, you know, um, I guess uh, a lot of the the songs were ended up being recorded like as individual sessions for each member, right? Well, so they each, yeah. I mean, in terms of the song, my understanding of it is that in terms of the songwriting, it wasn't a super collaborative process. Like right, each of right. them brought their songs in. They recorded over each other's songs. Um, there were, I think only one or two of the songs were recorded live all together, right. you know, in the studio. And so, yeah. So right away, that was a real challenge. Uh, just, and it's, you know, it's the blessing and the curse of this group. I mean, after this album, the, the next album that they did together was a live album. And then they, then Neil Young went on his way and then they recorded a few more albums as a trio. And then he came, then Neil Young came back. I mean, if you look at their discography, it's like one on, two off, one on, three off, one on. So, you know, it's, they, they have a very particular chemistry that is, it's like they're, they're atoms that that aren't quite sticky. You know, they can't quite stick together, but they can't quite, quite quit each other either. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure they, uh, at the same time, you, they, you know, you're getting on, you maybe get on each other's nerves and everything, but they're uh, as, as good enough musicians to realize how great each other was and to appreciate yeah. that and sort of push. And I'm sure anytime you do something like that, it sort of pushes everyone, I think, to, to do their best because there's a, a competitive thing there, you know? So they, no one wants to be the, the one that like sticks out as like, oh, well, everyone else is good, but he sucks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's true, and there's even now, you know, you read, you know, there there have been a lot of like reissues. Like they did a, a pretty prominent reissue of of Deja Vu, where they did a lot of the outtakes, and I mean, it was it wound up being four CDs worth of material when they did the reissue. And just reading the interviews with the musicians around the reissue, they can't even agree on what happens. Right, like they right. cannot agree on how it came together. They can't agree yeah. on who, you know, there's Typical. no shared, yeah, there's right. no shared frame of reference for that at all. So. But also one interesting thing to note is like during the recording. Uh, yeah, Graham Nash was with Joni Mitchell. Oh, and so Stephen the, Stills yeah, was with Judy Collins. Yeah, and David Crosby's girlfriend had been killed in a car yeah, accident just before they had started recording this album. Yeah, yeah, so even though they're singing about, in a way, universal things, there's also, you could hear it, it's very uh, personal in a lot of their songs because they were all going through this shit at that time, you know, and that you could hear all that in the record as well. 
uh, and I think even on the first song that starts out because they're all, you know, uh, especially uh, David Crosby was really still grieving his uh, girlfriend, like you said, that had just been killed recently before this. Yeah, there's a. It's interesting. Like I went back and I listened to the first um, Crosby, Stills, Nash album, and then went and listened to Deja Vu and prepping for this. And I, I would say that there's a, there's even, um, there's there's a certain kind of more melancholy sound to this album that I think was informed by all that compared yeah. to the first one. You think about Marrakesh Express, which was super happy, super joyful. Right. Sweeping cobwebs from the edges of my mind. To get away to see what we could find Hope the days that lie ahead Bring us back to where they've led Listen not to what's been said to you Don't you know we're riding On the Marrakesh Express Don't you know we're riding On the Marrakesh Express They're taking me to Marrakesh And then you listen to this and, and I think that... Uh, you know, the worm was already turning on the 60, you know, on the sort of summer of love by the time this album was recorded. Yes, and you can exactly. feel all of that in, in these songs. Right. And then just real, real quick, just to be fair, I guess the reason, one of the reasons maybe I mixed it up was because Joni Mitchell did at one time date both uh, Graham Nash and uh, Steven still. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually know that, but that doesn't surprise me. So. <laughs> um, all right. So let's uh, listen to the first track. Let's listen to Steven Stills and Steven Stills' song. One morning. I woke up and I knew it all. A new day, a new way, and new hours to I'm going to play the rest of it underneath because it does, it starts out with this, just the strumming 4-4 things, but then it has this angelic like middle part with a carry on love is coming, right? And then it, it totally changes gears. It goes into like this 6-8 groove and I guess it was partially taken from uh, Still's previous uh, Buffalo Springfield song, Question. So um, yeah, I, I, I guess he kind of put this, they put this together because they needed something to open the album and they thought then this ended up being a really good album opener. I hadn't, it hadn't really struck me until we just listened to it now after talking about the losses that these guys had had, but it's a, it's a pretty uh, dark way to open the album. Yeah, I mean, right. It's right. about survival, right? This song is about survival. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so you're right. Like knowing that, like reading about it, it just sort of gives you a new perspective on it, uh, on, on what's going on. And it does make it personal. You know, you could see it's, it's more personal for all of them. A new day, you know, a new way to see the, uh, the dawn. Uh, and carry, go your way, I'll go mine, and carry on. So yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I woke up and you were gone. 
Yeah, and it's also it's a kind of strident song too, right? It's it's very power. It's a very powerful song, you know. Like uh, it's almost like uh, yelling into the wind kind of song. Right. You know? Right. And then and then the uh, the one thing that you, that you just can't get away from is just the fact that the way they all sing together is just like mm-hmm. unbelievable. You know, <laughs> their voices together is just like magic. You know, so that kind of. Um, that kind of lifts everything up. Even if these weren't great songs and they were shitty songs, it probably still would sound good just because they sing so good together. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that I can think of another. Certainly, another group from that, that era, but uh, I, I have a hard time thinking of another group that blends as well as this group, right? Like right. that is known for that kind of blend. Right. Right. Pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah, it is. All right. So the next one, teach your children. This is. Graham Nash, and I guess he wrote this uh, partially about a a difficult relationship he had with his dad, who spent some time in prison, apparently. But but it's also just about uh, the simple idea that if we don't start teaching our kids a better way of dealing with each other, we're screwed. Uh, And basically, songs like this I love because they're still so, you know, they still carry so much weight today obviously this further down the road right it's very it's hard not to get choked up over these types of songs right exactly all right let's let's let's, let's get choked up together and listen to okay. teach your children you who are on the road must have a code that you can live by and so become yourself because the past is just a goodbye teach your children well their father's hell did slowly go by and feed them on your dreams the one they picked the one you know by don't you ever ask them why if they told you you would cry so just look at them and sigh So, uh, side note, real quick, do you know who that is playing a uh, pedal steel on that? I do know. That's scary. That Joey Garcia from yeah, yeah, yeah uh, from Joey. Grateful Dead. Yeah, because they were recording. My understanding is they were recording in the same studio. Like I, I, I read an interview about the recording of the album, and I don't know if they were in. There's two studios owned by the same by the same group, and one is in Hollywood, and one is. Uh, Somewhere else. I don't remember. I think they must have been in the San Francisco. I guess they were in the San Francisco studio. And so they talked about the fact that they would you'd walk down the hall and the Grateful Dead would be recording in one in one room and these guys would be recording in another all at the same time. And so that's how that came to pass that Jerry Garcia played that for them. Oh, OK, nice. And uh, yeah, I just love I, something that I never noticed until, you know, obviously I've heard this song a whole bunch of times, but in just, you know, digging into it and reading the lyrics, how it's real clever, how they, the verse bridge, it's uh, teach your children well, you know, your father's hell. But then they switch it in the last one to uh, teach your parents well. Uh, their children's hell will slowly go by. So they're sort of pointing out that we can teach our children, but we can also learn from our kids, right? Yeah, it's a little Cat Stevensy. Yeah. It? Like, just a little bit of, right? <laughs> that's good. Yeah, that's good. It is a little Cat Stevensy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
Um, nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> no, no, no. Very, both, both very evocative about that type of generational stuff. So. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I read about this quickly about this song is that it actually he wrote this when he was with the Hollies, and it was it went unreleased. Oh, okay. So okay. this was actually in the can before uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young came together. Oh, so. nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I guess they sort of brought songs into this, and then some of them. Sometimes they didn't think, you know, the other the other ones would say, "No, no, that's really good. We should do it." And then sometimes some of them didn't really tried to talk someone out of it, which is kind of interesting. With this next one, which is a really interesting David Crosby song, "Almost Cut My Hair." There's a lot going on here, but let's listen to a little bit mm-hmm. of "Almost Cut My Hair." Almost cut my hair It happened just the other day It's getting kind of long I could have said it was in my way Yeah, so uh, I guess that line, uh, letting my freak flag fly, we did, uh, when we did our, our Jimi Hendrix episode with Terry James Graham uh, in uh, nineteen. 19- 69 Hendrix in the song If Six Was Nine, he used that phrase, letting my freak flag fly. Now, if a six turned out to be nine, oh, I don't mind. Oh, I don't mind if all the hippies cut off all their hair. White-collar conservative flashing down the street, pointing their plastic finger at me. They hope that soon my kind will drop and die, but I'm gonna wave my freak flag. Yeah, I, I think this really became an, an anthem for that whole period of the kind of uh, Vietnam era. Right. Right? Oh, yeah. Well, because kids today can't sort of grasp how a big how much of a big deal it was to have long hair at a certain time you know it was like now people could have any do anything with their hair and it's not a big deal but then even um, in the 70s like when i was really young uh, it, it was still kind of a big deal you were kind of making a statement it was like more of a statement you know <laughs> well i mean I, I do think that there's something about i've talked a lot about this actually with caleb recently and with my parents too ironically which is that you know it feels like the whole world is going coming down around us right now. And I have to remind my parents, like they lived through that period of Vietnam. I, I had three uncles that went to Vietnam. Like right. that was a really dark time. Right. Right. And, uh, and I think that, uh, that's, 
when I talk to my kid about that time, it's like, well, you know, part of what we're feeling now and the division that we feel in the culture now is totally present in that right. period oh, yeah. of time. Right. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That, that's a great point. And, and it's also interesting because uh, David Crosby is usually the one with the really sweet. He's got such a beautiful, sweet sounding voice, but he's really, he's got like an angry edge in this and he's oh, really, yeah, it's dark. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's dark mm-hmm. and you could hear it. And uh, purportedly he did it in a take, just like one take and he did it. I think that this is one of one of those songs that was recorded live in right. the studio. Right. So I think they're all playing in the background. I think they were all together for this for this song live. So and right. one of my understanding is one of only a couple songs that Neil Young joined in on that he didn't actually write. So yes, and yeah, Neil Young and, pretty, and he went on record as saying that he, he really liked. He thought it was one of Crosby's best, like the best thing he ever did. And I forget mm-hmm. who it was. It was either Stills or Nash. Like didn't where it wasn't as crazy about it as Neil. As Neil was, but well, Neil, David Crosby's on the record saying he thought it was one of the most juvenile set of lyrics he's ever written, but it's go. gone so on it to him. become <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> That's great. But that it's got gone on to become like a really important anchor for his career. So yep. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So now we get Neil. Uh, we get Neil Young, and and there's just something I don't know. I guess there's something always drawn out of these guys. You know. I, Whenever I listen to songs that uh, the other three have done, there's still, you know, there's no denying that they were all super talented, and super great. But I've always leaned towards Neil Young just because he's got this edge to him, right? <laughs> I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. I, I, it, it, for, there's a direct line for me. Like even now, he's uh, really one of my favorite artists. And, and I, it goes right back to these songs like that we're about to listen to Helpless. It's like, yeah, it's, it sort of set my, it sort of set level set my expectations from very early age for well, that. Well, yeah, because when you're listening, when you're a little kid and you're, they're playing it and you hear these, you know, sweet songs and then all of a sudden you hear Neil come in and you you know there's something different about it. Like, oh, who's this guy, you know? <laughs> well, I, 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 one of the things that I find so interesting is that he was able to blend it in this group because his voice is very different than these yeah, other guys. And right. when he sings alone, you get a sense of, the, of, of you know, it's, it's kind of unpolished. Right. And, you know, not a voice that any A&R guy would ever necessarily pluck out of a, you know, a club, but someone did. And so he he's one of those artists who manages to be to really make the most of a very unique voice. So the fact that he blend that he was that he was part of the super group and that he added to it and was able to blend um, what his voice is so different than. Right. Other, yeah, that's other true. That's a great point. All right. Yeah. Let's listen to a little bit of Helpless. Big birds 
So good. I mean, you know, talk about someone that just sings and you hear everything. You hear his entire heart and you hear all his humanity in there when he sings. You know, that's that's how I feel uh, about him. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's it's like you can draw a really direct line between that to, you know, other iconic albums, you know, even as things like Harvest Moon, right, that much later in his career, that just the like heart heart on his uh, on his shirt sleeve and just. Simp- very simple arrangements. That's a super simple arrangement. I think there's only a few chords in it. Right, right. Um, and he's just saying and, about his childhood, where, where he grew yeah. up, and the places. But it's just you, you, you feel every bit of what he's feeling. You know, whatever. Yeah, it it about. really, it really, yeah, is is very moving. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we get uh, Woodstock, uh, Joni Mitchell. Which, uh, yeah, so like you were saying, she was scheduled to perform at the festival, but then she had to go on what? What show was she scheduled? I think she was going, supposed to go on Ed Sullivan or Dick, Dick Cavett, Cavett. one Dick of Cavett. those shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cavett yeah. Show. Her manager, yeah. David Geffen, was concerned she'd miss it. So she didn't, but she ended up writing this song. So let's, yeah, obviously there's a lot to unpack here, but let's listen to a little bit and then we will discuss. Okay. I just got to ask you, what do you think about the idea of such an iconic song, you know, about Woodstock and everything being written by someone who wasn't there? What do, what do you what do you think about that? It was Joni Mitchell. So, right, you know, right, like right. I, I I didn't even know that she wasn't there until I started to read the background. Right. On me this neither. Because yeah. I would have assumed that of anybody was there it was she was there. So, of course. I mean, I think that. uh I, th- I think there's something interesting about it, right? So she apparently watched Woodstock on t- parts of Woodstock on TV. So she was she was in this really interesting position of being an observer of of this event. And she said, you know, that she's quoted as saying, like, I, you know, so then the first fifty thousand people came, and then the next hundred and a hundred thousand people, and then half a million people were there, which is like, and like it, it just for her, like her sense of not being there just got stronger and stronger, which is why she then had to sit down and write the song. Right. So I think there's something really interesting about her being an observer of that event through TV, not on the ground there, but yet so wrapped up in that movement. And, and then I, but I also think that we can't really, you know, there've been multiple versions of this. She recorded a version, which I found it was on the backside. It was the B side of big yellow taxi when big yellow taxi was released. Oh, okay. So, so she has a version, and if you you can go on and you can listen to 
I, I, it's, there's versions of her doing it live on YouTube. It is so you different. Me, yeah, you you had sent me a link of her playing it, uh, and it's uh, amazing. Just her and a piano singing it. Completely different arrangement, but it's still beautiful, but completely different. I came upon a child of God. He was walking along the road, and I asked him, I said, where are you going? And this he credit to Stephen Stills for taking that 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 song and seeing and arranging this particular I mean I think that this this is just it's a rock anthem it's like it an is, amazing right. right it's an amazing uh kind of anthem of that period and that that's all Stephen Stills and and the arrangements of the of the vocals on that when they come in on the chorus it is just really fantastic and and the guitar line underneath like everything about it is really kind of uh, takes it to 11, so to speak, right? It is, and so. it does. And yeah, I agree. What you said is exactly what I think. I think it actually makes more sense because when you think about it, Woodstock is more was more than just this concert, this concert, a dirty hip with all these uh, dirty hippies and all this thing. And, and when you think about it, someone going there, they only had their little experience of it, just yeah. wherever they were. I mean, if these guys went, they were, you know, backstage and they played, but they didn't experience. But the people, she was one of the people, like the people that were watching it that were either not old enough to go or didn't know or you know later on they're seeing it and for that it became more of this more than this uh, than what it was if you were there you would only experience yeah, it's a kind little of, bit she's kind of writing with a journalistic voice isn't she right for half, everyone, half a million right. strong and right she's really documenting it uh in a way that you know still resonates today and, and also i think you know when people think about their impressions of woodstock you know, a lot of things that she pulls forward are things that we think about, just the size of the crowd and, you know, that yeah. kind of the, the power of it. But so. the idea, yeah, I think the idea of Woodstock transcends whatever the actual thing, because yeah, yeah. just mm -hmm. the fact that that many people could go and not, like, could you imagine now all the, the horrible things that... <laughs> <laughs> that would go on and what could happen and everything. And the fact that it, it was able, uh, you know, uh, that it, it ended up as it was, you know, and, and, and yeah. So the, like I said, the idea just became more than the sum of it. And I think she captured all that, which maybe she wouldn't have been able to, if she had went and just had her little experience of it instead of experience. And like yeah, she was, she else. was the eyes for everybody. Yep. Exactly. Song, right? Exactly. All right. So now we flip the record over a deja vu. So you remember you listening to it and you remember uh, turning the record over. Right. And then you'd hear the <laughs> and all right. So this is this kind of weird uh, David Crosby song. And I guess he wrote. All right. So I read he wrote it uh, after an experience he had on a friend's sailboat. Did you hear this when he started sailing and he felt as if he had done it before and he knew exactly what he was doing? Even he never done. And I'm thinking he was probably just really stoned. Well, I was gonna say I, I, there was there was quite a bit of um, you know imbibing going on throughout this whole album <laughs> yep. of various of various. So you know, yeah. But, <laughs> I'm sure it was quite transcendent for yeah, exactly. for many reasons. <laughs> All yeah. right, here you go. Let's let's do a little bit of deja vu. Probably know just what to do. Don't you? 
another time around the wheel I would probably know just how to deal With all of you And I It's just a, a really cool song. There's, there's a lot going on. It's I find it uncomfortable to listen to a little bit, actually. <laughs> well, only because it's not not restful. It's like a very, especially that first opening passage, and then it feels. I mean, listening to it with an eye, you know, with an ear towards towards the trippiness of it, it's like it's kind of white rabbity, right? It's just it it. Trippy. It's not. It's, yeah, it's trippy. <laughs> it's, it's, trippy. Not com- it's not a comfortable, and, you know. And, and it's interesting because I was reading, I forget, one of them was saying that some of the songs on this came came uh, really quickly and they played it and they got it. This one, they said, took forever. They did like uh, like 100. He said it felt like over 100 takes of it to try and get it mm. right. So, yeah, maybe that's part of the uncomfortableness you feel is that, just them trying to whatever, nail down whatever it is uh, David Crosby, you know, either in this life or in his past life wanted to get. And another dark, dark song on this album from David. David Crosby. Yep. Right. Yep. Like yep. it's the second, you know, oh, yeah. along with almost cut my hair. Like you can, you can, you can feel his kind of the clouds that were over him on this album. Exactly. Exactly. And now we get a, probably the sweetest song on the album. The sweetest song. Super sentimental uh, tune about uh, Nash uh, that he wrote about the house he shared with Joni Mitchell in Laurel Canyon from 68 to 70. And yep. yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but like like I said, everyone knows the song and uh, it's just a really sweet song. Let's listen to a little bit of Our House. I'll light the fire You place the flowers in the vase that you bought today Staring at the fire for hours and hours while I listen to you play your love songs
Yeah. So I guess this is super autobiographical because they did have two cats, and she she did buy that uh the you know the uh, the vase that they put the flowers in. Yeah, it was literally like a day in the life, right? The exactly. Song. And I think there's two things. I I think it's really interesting that they placed it on the album after after Deja Vu because it's the mirror opposite kind right. of emotional state. Right. And then um, the other thing is that it's only the three of them singing on this song. Oh, Young okay. is not on this. So so the harmonies are that kind of like very, very sweet. Yep, right, right. There's no exactly. edge to these harmonies yep. at all. <laughs> exactly, right? exactly. Which probably is is best for the it's song. Suitable. It, yeah, like, totally it, it suitable. Yeah, totally suitable. song. I just love, mm-hmm. I also love when he says, staring at the fire for hours and hours while I listen to you play your love songs all night long for me, only for me. I have news for you, Graham. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would be awesome to sit and watch Joni sing these love songs, but I don't know that they're all only for you. Um, <laughs> but you could, he could think that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, it made a great song. He got a great song out of it. At so the time, whatever, maybe right? it was only yeah. for him at the time. All right. Uh, this next one is a really haunting song that uh, Stephen Still says is about an 84-year-old poor man uh, who started and finished with nothing. I mean, it's really dark. Yeah. Uh, so let's listen to 4 and 20. Four and twenty years ago, I come into this life. The son of a woman and a man who lived in strife. He was tired of being poor. And he wasn't into selling door to door. And he worked like the devil to be Different kind of poverty now upsets me so. Night after sleepless night, I All right, so the, so the question I have for you, Kristen, like growing up with this record, what did you think of this song? Because it's so uh, different than uh, all the other songs on the record. I mean, it's just him singing and playing guitar, and, you know, no harmonies on it. What did you What did you think of this song? I just remember thinking that it was very sad. That it was a sad song, or yeah, somehow, so you know, it. Yeah, it felt it felt sad. I don't I don't think I thought, you know, at that age particularly hard about why it was sad. It was just it's one of those songs that just acts on you sonically. So um and now it sounds to me almost like a demo. I mean, it sounds to me like it's so stripped down compared to the other Well, yeah, I had read that he had wanted uh uh at least Crosby and Nash to add harmony parts, but they refused. Uh, they said, "No, this is it. We got to do it like this." And they wouldn't even let him re-sing it. Because if you listen, I'm going to play it. There's a part on the last verse between the words I and embrace. He like gulps. He like, he like pauses. He was like uh, catching his breath or something. I embrace the many colored beast. And it, you could tell it, it, it's there and they wouldn't let him redo it. <laughs> they said, no, this is what this is. I feel like a lot of their story is like, is like him, like not wanting to do another take and then saying, we're not going to do it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's how that's how it works sometimes when you're not. And usually it's for the best because usually musicians, I won't say usually, but a lot of times 
unless you're someone like Prince or something, you may not know what's best. You may need other people to sort of step in and, you know, rein you in or, you know, say, no, no, that is good. You know, because you're going to, as musicians, what do they do? They overthink things a lot, right? Well, and, and I think my understanding is that he was quite a perfectionist and that part of the reason why they had to bring Young in is that he did so much of the playing on the original Crosby, Stills, Nash album. Like oh, he recorded okay, the bass line, okay. he recorded right. the drums, like he just, he's a multi-instrumentalist, so. Right. You know. All right. Well, yeah. Speaking of that, actually, we should mention real quick the other players. I mean, these guys play all over the record. They play piano, guitars, but uh, Greg Reeves. You got Greg Reeves on bass, uh, most of the songs, and uh, Dallas Taylor on drums. And uh, great. You know, these guys, great because you hear they're doing just whatever the songs need for them to do, not overplay at all, but just you know, perfect for the songs where you don't almost don't even notice. But then when you listen to it, you go, oh yeah. If you if you go on the Wikipedia page for for the group, not for the album, but for the group, there's a Gantt chart, which is like shows over time, all of the musicians who have played on their different albums and tours. And it's like, you know, it's, (laughs) it's like colored wallpaper. Like there are a lot of musicians who've been involved in their projects and, and uh, you know, the simplicity of the tune belies, you know, what it took to to mount this on the road. It was a pretty big group. Yep. There you go. All right, so now we get Neil Young's other uh, contribution. It's it's kind of like a suite of songs because it combines some Buffalo Springfield songs, uh, Down, 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 and Whiskey Boot Hill with the Country Girl, which was what he you know uh, wrote for this. And it's, it's Neil again, so of course it's awesome. Let's listen to Country Girl. Tables and glass First fall was me Now watch the summer pass So close to you Maybe one of the most expansive ones on the uh, on the record, right? And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like uh, way more produced than a lot of the other stuff. I mean, right. and, and I was trying to pick it out. I, I haven't been able to find the instrumentation. Maybe you found it, but like it sounds to me like there's maybe vibraphone or xylophone in there. Like there's, I know that he did a string arrangement of this song at other points. So that, that there's just a lot of really lush sound going on in this right right yeah yeah so yeah like you said it definitely is the most producing on there but still it's great when those guys i mean uh when they add their vocals to his to his song it really just elevates it i mean it it, it makes it you know crosby stills nash and young as opposed to a new young song which is mm-hmm. yeah that's what yeah. that's what you're here for right exactly. <laughs> all right so we get the final song on the record um uh stills uh 
you know, apparently Steven Stills loves everybody. Well, it's a good thing that they closed with the song. <laughs> let me just say, because otherwise you'd be walking away from the album. I mean, like, you know, it's kind of masterful song arranging that they put this on the end. Because by the time you, know, you get this last song, you're like feeling good about it. And you walk away not feeling completely depressed. Exactly. You if you if you left on any of the other songs that are a yep, little dark. That's right true. Now. That's a great point. And it's really rock and closer, and it's got uh, Neil Young playing great guitar on this one, like great Neil Young guitar playing on this one. Uh, yeah, you can imagine this being like the finale number of a live show, right? Exactly. Like everybody's just up and excited. There yeah. You go. All right, let's listen to everybody. I love you. Digging, that's awesome. There's some interesting like uh, time signatures on this. I don't yeah. know if it's the, actually I don't know if it's time signatures or just the syncopation, but uh, right. it's got a very unusual structure. Yeah, song. yeah. I think syncopation is good. I think that's the that's the correct word. So see, you hang you hang around with all these musicians. <laughs> You're picking <laughs> shit up. I picked up a few terms. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you obviously when when you listen to this record it must bring you it brings you back like you said to when you're you know your family and your house but did you ever like did this record be with you your whole life did you ever have a point where you uh, took a break from it or didn't it said nah i don't know if i really like that anymore is it has it just no i've I've never gotten sick of it i've never gotten sick of it i i think that there are times when it drops out of rotation like so i don't you know i might not listen to it for a year or two or longer maybe uh, especially now in, in the streaming age where, you know, I, I spend a lot of time listening to playlists that are full of new music. Yeah. But um, but whenever I hear it or whenever, you know, I'll go through a phase where I'll touch base with a lot of the older music that I grew up with. Um, it, it's always right there on the top. And, you know, and also it's a running joke with my husband because there are a whole bunch of things from that era of music that I grew up with every day being played every day in my house that he never heard in his whole entire life until we got together. And I don't know if it was his, his um, punk blinders or whatever, whatever it is that happened to him. Like, you know, like story so, never, yeah. never listened to the grateful dead and which I'm not a huge, I'm not a deadhead or anything, but right. like there are like milestones in the musical development of the sixties and seventies that he like, Never heard. Yeah, no, well, that's true. I, I always feel like Russell's been playing uh, a catch-up in a way on a lot of this, because when I hear, like, a, a, the playing on this, I I think of Russell, I go, oh, he loves all this shit, but yeah, I remember he was into punk rock and all that for, you know, Oh, no, for totally. So no, he, and, yeah. and, and had this kind of reflexive, uh, like, reaction to anything that smacked of the 60s. Hippie music. It was just hippie yeah, music. Totally. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So, we, you know, so, like, there's some deeper cuts, like, uh, 
Melody, I don't know if you know Melody, right? Um, there, there's a whole bunch of these kind of really specific albums from that period that we we still now I'm just like what do you mean you would have never heard that all right we have to go listen to that right now you know? oh nice that's good. so You're yeah still we joke, we joke about it and, and well it's, it, it's mutual because I you know I I know a lot more about um punk of the 80s than I did when I oh right was coming uh, yes, up there, too, so. there you go um it's interesting you mentioned streaming too because I noticed that in solidarity of Neil Young, uh, Crosby, uh, Stills & Nash also asked Spotify to remove their stuff so you can't find this this album on uh, Spotify and you can't find Crosby, Stills & Nash, Crosby, Stills & Nash. You cannot. It's yeah, true. Yeah, solidarity of him. Yep. So good for them standing by Neil. You know, why not? I don't know. People, I know, people have opinions and I used, I listened to Spotify. I was like bummed because I had to figure out a different way to listen to the record this week because Spotify is easy so it's easiest and I said, oh, fuck. It is. Fuck, yeah. Neil, now it's... I got to do this but it's fine. Um, you work uh, a little harder. They're going to make you work a little harder for it. There you go. Something. And that's fine. I don't know. I still don't understand. I have some friends that like got mad at Neil, like a man, you know, oh, what happened to Neil? It's like, what do you mean? What happened to him? He's, he's doing what, you know, you always, what he always did. And you always want your uh, rock artists to do. You want them to stick by their guns and, you know, and not do the easy thing and, you know, fight uh, uh, the man, you know? So why are you complaining <laughs> about him now? Yeah. I don't get that. Well, you know. It's, What's the matter with people? Christian? Streaming makes it much easier these it, days. It, all things, all things available at any moment. It so does. It does. We get lazy. Yeah. But I buy them. I, I bought the album. I went and bought which I never owned. So it's great. I get to buy these records that, uh, like I said, obviously I knew a lot of these songs by hearing them. But it's great to uh, really dig in and then realize, of course, yeah, there's a reason why this is a classic record, and uh, you know, and why these songs, uh, like you say, that time. Uh, sort of the end of the 60s and getting things getting a little darker. It's like all here in this record, right? Yeah, it's like of a moment, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I, I, think it's aged pretty well and I think it, it's aged certainly a lot. I mean, I'm sure that people are going to comment about this, but it's aged a lot better than some of the 80s power pop that came along after it, you know? Yeah, right. It's true. So. It's, yeah, it's true. It's kind of, I feel bad. As the 80s had a problem because it was such a production thing that sometimes it's impossible to listen to it and separate that. It, it sounds dated. It just sounds so dated that even if it is a great song, it's just almost ruined by <laughs> by the way they were producing certain things in the 80s. Well, sure. Like in this album, we've got no synthesizers. We have, you know, a lot of the, you know, they might have recorded it in different sessions, but it was all recorded live. You know, there's yeah. no auto tune. There's no, you know, a lot of it's hear. really raw. But the fact that it's raw, but that they still sound so great singing together, beautiful, yeah. is just like uh, amazing. Yeah, it you really can hear the amazing. room. You can yeah. hear the room they're in. Oh you yeah, know? for sure. Which, which is, is cool. super cool. Yeah. All right. So this was awesome, Kristen. It was great having you on. So what's going? Uh, do you want to plug anything? Do you have anything? Do you want to plug your company, or you got what do you got going on? Where do you want to send people? Oh, I, I, you know, I don't know that my company needs to be to, to be plugged. Um, I would I would just plug the music scene in Miami and and uh, encourage people to get out and support the you know like we just went to an, an amazing rhythm foundation show at the Bandshell and Rhythm Foundation is really doing amazing work to bring just tremendous groups um, in to try to you know resuscitate the live music opportunities so i would i would encourage people to just get out and support live music in miami as much as possible or wherever and, they and, live and, because you know the show is worldwide kristen that's people right, listen to the show all over the world wherever you are <laughs> in paris go listen to some live music no i mean just generally like yeah. i you know i yeah. think that getting out and listening to live music right now is really critically important for the musicians and for the clubs 
and the venues that support them. The That's venues great. Yeah, and the Mofsky family, yes, is uh, are great supporters of, of music, uh, of live music, and music of, of all types and styles, which is great. Uh, I always love that about you guys. Very open-minded. Yeah, I read a, I read a statistic um, recently, which I... I vehemently disagree with, or at least I want to, but, but which is that anybody over 35 doesn't listen to new music anymore. So that's the other thing I would say to people is like in the age of streaming, it's like tough. It, it, you've got to expose, you know, like you have, you to, have to seek force out. Yourself. You do. You There's have to such really amazing stuff. make an effort. There is. There is. And it, it, it's true. I mean, it, 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 it probably is mostly, that is mostly true. Uh, and, and, you know, I have been guilty of that, but like I said, like I said, I have to force myself because people will say, oh, did you hear this? And I'm like, and I'll listen to it and I'm going, oh, fuck, that is good. Now I have to, I gotta listen to that now. <laughs> yeah, it feels, it's like, uh, there aren't that many opportunities to be delighted right now. And right. discovering new music is one of the ways that you can be delighted because yep. there's so much. All right, there you crap, go. Crap going on. That's so, a great message. Be delighted. Be there curious. Be delighted. That's a great message to go out on. I, mm-hmm. uh, unlike Kristen, I will plug a whole bunch of shit uh, on Instagram and Facebook. It's at that record got me high. Also, that Facebook group got me high is a lot of fun. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Email me. Let us know anything we got wrong in this episode. I will answer you back and say, what the hell you want from me? You know, um, I, I do this every week. There's only so much we can do. Uh, if you want to become a patron of the show, I would uh, I would really appreciate it. You can go to patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron. But if not, just uh, it would really help me out if you just shared the episode. If you um, or any episode you listen and you like this, just share it on your own social media. Share it with friends. If you have friends, hey, I think you would like this podcast. There's, there's some old dude and he has people on and they talk about shit and it's fun. So uh, do that. Uh, rate it if you want to rate it uh, or review it. Uh, and definitely make sure you subscribe to it. I would really appreciate it. I appreciate you guys so much. Kristen, it was so great having you on. This was awesome. Absolutely my pleasure. I'm, I'm really delighted to be here. See, you delighted me. There, there you go. You. <laughs> All right. All right. We'll see you guys next week. Bob Elba. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Fun.